Welcome to Equiosity, the podcast about all things equine with a special emphasis on the horse-human bond. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs about clicker training. And I'm joined by Dominique Day, one of the co-founders of Cavalia. This week, we're continuing our conversation with Lucy Butler. Lucy is a special ed teacher who at the start of the 2021-2022 school year was given the assignment of working with all the students in her high school who had failed ninth grade the previous year. Over the summer of 2021, Lucy had been attending my online clinics and over Labor Day weekend, she also attended our science camp. So she was very excited to apply the concepts of constructional training to her classroom students. With the help of Dr. Claire St. Peter and two of Claire's former graduate students, Lucy began the process of changing the lives of her students. Last week, Lucy reviewed some of the major lessons from the first half of the year, where she and her students learned to celebrate their successes, that far more than some of the token reinforcers that she had started out with at the beginning of the school year, that what really reinforced her students was seeing themselves succeed. So now in part two, we're going to move into the second half of the school year, and we're going to begin with a discussion of SMART goals. So now in the second half of the year, one of the, it was goal setting. Yes. So sort of organically, started to take shape once we figured out that we had this reinforcement schedule of using their their increases in their classes it kind of naturally occurred to me well we should let them figure out what their goal is and and so another reinforcer that's sort of hidden in there but we talk about a lot here is Mm -hmm. choice so letting them choose what is going to be you know, okay, now you know you can improve. You know, it feels good to improve, even if it's one point. So what do you want to improve? And by how much, et cetera. So working with Catherine and Stephanie, who are Claire's students, we talked about how to teach them to write their own SMART goals. So, you know, in, in, in our animal training world, we might decide I have an end in mind, right? And we picture that end if we look at Gold Diamond's work and our big dream, right? And then we break it down. And so in the human behavior analytic worlds, we use tons of SMART goals for this. So we can write, we can have a big, huge SMART goal and then break it into our tiny little thin slices and use our micro micro habits to get there. So are SMART goal in opposition to stupid goals? That's a joke. It's a joke. (laughs) Right. (laughs) It's, yes. It's an acronym, right? So it's an acronym. And I think you can write some maybe less, less smart (laughs) goals. Um, But the acronym stands for specific, measurable, attainable. What's the R? That's so bad that I can't think of it off the top of my head. Uh, Realistic. So so say that again, because, you know, as people listen to this, it's like, wait, wait, wait a minute, I missed that. So S is. So it's smart. So it's S is specific. Then it's measurable, attainable realistic and timely. Okay. And I can go through each one real quick. Cause I had to teach this to a bunch of teenagers, you know, who yeah. are looking at me like, 
what? <laughs> That's, that was its own really cool, for me as a learner, really cool experience in using constructional design to teach concepts. To, to human learners. So, so that's its own neat thing. But the specific and smart stands for, you know, you, you can't just be vague about your goal. I, I want to uh, say with the kids, like, uh, I want to make some videos for YouTube. Well, that's what kind of videos about what? Okay, so you get specific. And then measurable is you need to have a number and a unit in your goal. So I'm going to make 10 goal uh, videos about animal training. So it's 10 is the measurable number and okay. then the unit is the videos, right? So I'm gonna make 10 videos about animal training. Okay, attainable. You know, this one, I think a lot of adults kind of would get this like, but it's very, very useful for working with teenagers because they'll say, I'm gonna make 10 videos about animal training yesterday. They <laughs> say, okay, not likely, right? So we had, we had to talk about what would actually be likely to happen within. I'm gonna be a millionaire before I'm 20 years old. Yes, yes. Or, you know, they're always saying like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be famous. You know, now it's, they're gonna be an Instagram influencer or a YouTube influencer or a professional ball player or whatever, which could happen, yeah. but you know, they're often not attainable. So, um, and then realistic is, it's, um, it's like attainable. Attainable, the other piece that's tricky about attainable is it has to be executed by you. So it's not attainable if I set a goal that has like, either overtly or sort of implicitly another person's collaboration or compliance embedded in it. So, you know, the example I gave the kids was if I say, I'm going to get 10 people to sign up for the prom committee. Well, what are you going to do? Go force them to, to sign up. You can't coerce people. You can say, I'm going to go ask 10 people to sign up. I can control that. So the attainable piece was also about having your own agency and ownership of the goal and learning to tell the two, which was hugely helpful with teenagers yes. because <laughs> that's not necessarily mm. part of teenage thinking. It's not necessarily part of adult thinking. It's true. It's true. It's so easy to write a goal that's dependent on others. Yes. And and you don't, you can't control that. I'm going to win the lottery. Um, so that was, <laughs> right? This is my yes. financial plan. <laughs> win the lotto. <laughs> and then the, the realistic was again kind of reinforcing back to like I, I could make 10 videos in two months but not in a week or you know or, or whatever and then timely is you put a time stamp on it by when will this goal be accomplished and what's a reasonable amount of time for that to happen so so the goal my smart goal is to teach these kids to write their own smart goals and then eventually what we ended up doing was they used, they would write a mini smart goal every single week. And they would have one for the quarter, what I'd like to do by the end of the quarter. And then every week they were writing a mini smart goal, which just turned out to be hugely useful, just, just incredible. And, and, and again, they had choice over what they would write it about. Sometimes they'd write them about things that didn't have to do with school. And I'd always let them because I felt that was really important for them to see that there was reach and that this was a skill that they could apply to things that really matter to them that they're really excited about. So the way I learned to teach this, this was the constructional design and instructional design, it's really interesting, was to use this tool called a, a RULEG, R-U-L-E-G, and it's a rule and example matrix. And RULEG doesn't really, 
it's a nonsense word that comes from the first part of rule and then like EG example. Um, so a rule egg matrix. And what you do is as the teacher, you take a concept and you try to distill it to its most essential. It's, it's all of its essential pieces. What come together to make that thing a thing <laughs> or that concept. So the classic way that they kind of teach about distilling the concept of something is to think about a chair. When does a chair, you know, we can all say like, I know what a chair is, but when does it not become a chair? When does it become a stool? A couch. When does it become like, what's the difference between an armchair? Yeah, a couch or a love seat versus a chair. So, you know, you use actually like a matrix that goes through all the pieces that make a chair a chair. And it's super fascinating when I first encountered it because I did exactly what the researcher was describing. It's like, well, I know what a chair is. And I do because I've used countless chairs in my lifetime. But could I teach someone who had never encountered a chair to identify a chair? And this is what happens in classrooms all the time is people who have tons of experience using, you know, a math skill and they know it, but have they actually distilled it down to all of its necessary component pieces and then showed someone how to understand, you know, that each component and how each component combines to make the, the whole you know, no, <laughs> it's, it's a lot of work. It's a lot of assumptions because we make assumptions, you know, we assume yes, that yes. you're, because behavior is a stream. Uh, and so we just assume mm -hmm. that you're in this part of the stream and you already know how to pick up a pencil and hold it and put the tip of the pencil to paper. That's a huge assumption to make. Right. When right. I'm working with writing clients, I'm assuming when I say, well, let's hold a target up for a horse, I'm assuming that they know how to grasp a target stick and hold it in front of a horse. It's a huge assumption to make. If I were working with a toddler, yeah. I couldn't make that assumption. Right. And so much of what, especially I think at the secondary level, I do think in the primary grades, they're a little bit better at thinking in terms of component skills, but at the secondary level, yeah. this is just constant, like all the time. It's just, oh, they already know how to do fractions. Uh, <laughs> nuh -uh. So the exercise on the teacher's end of going through and breaking down all the assumptions, you know, and, and all the, the component pieces of the, of the concept is just, it's incredible. It's actually really, really hard. Um, it took me weeks. I, I started it and just had to take each little piece of that SMART goal. So I was teaching the SMART goal. I'd take the S and be like, how do you ex teach people's specificity? And, and the way you do it is you think of examples and non-examples and near examples. So I created a table. This is the matrix where I, I had to create an example and a non-example and use different, I tried to use different topics the kids were interested in. So YouTubing, blogging, driving is a big one that they're interested in and show them what something non-specific is and then what's something specific and what's something that, you know, we could debate about it. Is it specific enough, right? Um, the one that fascinated me was um, measurable. So I just assumed that the kids would understand that something's measurable. It has a number and a unit. And I had to go back and reteach it because I had lumped them together. 
And we had to do a separate day on like, just find the number and think about numbers of times you see someone, what's the unit that goes with that number? Because the kids would be like, I want to raise my grades. <laughs> you know, By what? To what? Or I'm going to, um, I'm trying to think of some of the ways they, they just, they've really had a hard time wrapping their mind around that to be measurable, I had to have a number and a unit. Um, I want to see my brother more, more often. That's not measurable yet. So how many days do you want to see him? Or how many weekends do you want to see him? Or how much, how many hours do you want to spend with them, with that person? And so we had to really break that down. So it's a lot of work on the prep side, but the cool thing I found is when I actually went to teach them, as soon as I would see a problem happening, it was very clear what my assumption was. And it was much easier to double back and split it up and figure out, okay, here's what happened. They, they don't know units to, to pair up with the number. So it, it ended up being a very efficient and effective way to teach. It's just, you know, and, and, and when I do it again, this coming school year, mm -hmm. I already have my matrix. Yes. So once you do it, you know, and, and, and it's my patched version where I went back <laughs> and, and added in pieces and, and really learned from, from those learners what I had, where I had moved too quickly. Uh, so it was, it was really cool experience yeah it's a lot again a lot like the training uh, the, the clicker training the first time yes. you go through it there's a lot of head scratching and then you get another horse and you go through it and because you have the skills in place it, you go through so much faster yeah yeah it, it was i was really excited when i was learning how to do this on the, the conceptual level because then i was really seeing how i, I kept saying to, to stephanie and, and Catherine. This is thin slicing. This is thin slicing. This is what we're doing when we're clicker training is we're, we're, we're sussing out, you know, all of these tiny pieces of what we need to build back together to a final, you know, um, complex behavior. And it was really cool to, you know, and that's just one form and it really lends itself to kind of conceptual teaching versus like a, maybe a concrete skill, but it was just, it was just an awesome exercise yeah. to, to have to practice breaking something down. You know, movement cycles are sort of, I think, analogous to that on the, the animal end of things is we really start to examine a loop and think about what is the piece that comes before the piece yes. that, you know, initiates the movement cycle and where do we start in the cycle? It's a lot like that only for, again, like conceptual types of of and and yeah, as you've been talking, I've been thinking, you know, how useful so much of what you've been saying uh, is for horse people. When you start thinking about, okay, I could have my super goal, my super smart goal, but then I also can have my my smaller weekly goals that I can set forth for my horse, and and I could see for some people it would be starting with body in the barn. Because I get, yeah. I get at clinics, so many people be saying, well, I haven't really done anything with my horse. It's <laughs> been hot, or I've been busy, or I've been, you know, there, there are lots of reasons, and often very valid reasons, why people haven't been able to work with their horse. It's been pouring for the last three weeks, and it, they're knee-deep in mud, or it's the height of fly season, and, you know, there, there are all kinds of reasons why it's hard to work with your horses but sometimes it just becomes a habit of not going out to the barn or there's some underlying fear issues 
I'm not working with my horse because it's summer. And then I'm not working with my horse because it's winter. Oh, yeah, I'm not working yeah. with my horse because, because he bites at me or I've fallen off my horse or, you know, he scares me in some way. Or the people at the barn where I board aren't very nice to me and I don't enjoy being at the barn. So mm. you get all kinds of avoidance behavior going on that just builds on itself very much in the way that these children who don't turn up for school. And then you have this, this boy who's riding an hour in the rain to get to school. Exactly. So just beginning with body in the barn. Yeah. Let me, let me just get my body in the barn. I don't have to yeah. do anything with my horse. I'm just going to come and drop a carrot in his feed bin yeah. and leave. Yeah. And, and remembering like with the kids, it's the power of that, that reinforcer, that success, yes. that small reinforcer. I mean, it helps that, you know, like it was still being made salient, right? Like we still were pointing it out for them with a little smiley face and a, you got a one point raise in this class or whatever. And for ourselves, uh, I'm right now, Claire is uh, editing a journal this year and invited me to write a paper about all of this. And I'm, I am using the same, the same strategies with myself. I have a little table with a little checklist and I can check off every day that I did. I'm, my goal is 10 minutes for the next two weeks to work on my initial organization of this paper. And maybe I'll get around to actually, you know, writing it, but I've been working on my mind map and everything. And, and I'm using the same techniques, you know, and, and giving myself a little reinforcer. For me, it's, I like checking off the box. It feels okay. really good. And, and I, and I have an opportunity to share that success in two weeks. I'm going to meet with Catherine and Stephanie, and we're going to look at what I've got. So it's, you know, it's the same thing. It's the same resilience that my, you know, three Peter showed when she just kept trucking and yeah. getting those little successes. And then, then at the end of the year, you're a 10th grader. You know, yeah. there's this huge, huge win, but it, it happened through little tiny ones. Yeah. You know? So, and, and remembering like, if, if it's, this kind of goes back to that idea of like, in a school setting, it's so hard to carve out the space where the kids can just focus on where they are. So for the kid who's body in the building, like being a really loud voice for that kid that you came today. And that is just so awesome. Yeah. We have, he, he wanted a moon pie. I asked them what, you know, some special reward. He wanted a moon pie. It took three adults to find this dang moon pie. They're not the easiest snack to find. So setting yourself, a, you know, protecting that space. If, if just getting to the barn and working with your horse in protective contact, because you're afraid of them, like really carving out the space of, of protecting that success. Yes. I got there and I worked with him and it's okay that it was, you know, in protective contact. And it's really hard to do. All these other people maybe are doing something else, but that's not where you are and where you are is all, that's the only place you can be, but it's also really sacred because it's incredible what can happen when you just embrace the power of that. You know, like that, the child who gets on the bike and rides in, it's yeah. because we, because we just like celebrated the heck out of, out of just that. We didn't look at the, all the F's in the classes. We just, you walked through the doors. Wow. Yeah. You know, glorious day. Hooray. So. So you got to the end of the year and tell us yes. about the end of the year. 
this, so in the second half of the year, um, you know, I had this shift in my ninth graders, but I, I got a class, I had another academic support class. Um, I had two other academic support classes, and then I ended up just weaving all of this into all of my academic support classes. So the young man I was just telling you about, who was a 10th grader, we saw all kinds of success with him. We had another student who was part of my original 17. He wasn't coming at all. He was completely truant. He started coming. I mentioned him and he had his successes with being in the building. I had another one like him who, so this was a really, really uh, powerful example of the home environment. Um, he had been completely truant at the beginning of the school year. I never saw him, didn't even know who he was. And then he left his mother's home and went to live with his aunt. And then he started coming every single day. So we got a chance to work with him and just see how the power of that environment, a different environment, a different adult in his life at home started to get him in the building. So that was great. You know, the end of the year was a lot of watching like my two who were on the kind of full-time just totally blossom and really truly be like, we don't really need you anymore. <laughs> you know, like- Which is what like you we, want. Yes, exactly. I mean, it's just so delightful to see them, you know, just come into their own. And, you know, my, my kiddo who told me like, I already have my plan for my finals. I have my study guides. Yeah. Like, why are you hovering? <laughs> you know? Like that was just fantastic. So seeing, seeing those kids just step into their, you know, their, their power as learners and individuals was really cool. It was just a ton of fun to watch them set up their mini goals each week and then accomplish their mini goals. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fun for a teacher too, when you see your students being successful. Yes. Um, so I actually ended up getting to have like, you know, it was such a, it was such a really difficult year for so many educators in this country on so many levels, you know, and Uvalde happened and all of that. I, it's just, just devastating, but I got to spend, especially the second half of the year, I had kids who were really starting to get their skills and, you know, I got to just like hand out treats every week <laughs> and have parties with them in class because there was these big wins and successes and celebrate. So, so the end of the year was awesome. Um, it's just awesome to see them move on and, you know, move into 10th grade and, you know, feel their success and tell me, you know, tell me about how, what they learned and how they saw themselves, you know, grow over the year. So, you know, my kiddo who rode the bike, he said, he wrote, I had a feedback form and he said, thank you for being the way people ought to be, uh, which was wow. really cool. Yeah, <laughs> he's he's an astute, you know, yeah. astute wow. one. He's, yeah, um, and and my kiddo who made the plan for her finals, she said, you know, I guess I'm a little worried about not having you, but I always know where to find you, and mm. I know how to do this. So you know, she just she just expressed this confidence and wow, and and now the what you've been learning and doing is going to spread. Yes. So the other exciting part of this was my boss had me talk about what I was doing at uh, one of our professional development days. We just had a meeting together as a department and several of my colleagues in the department got very excited about it. They were like, you know, we passed around the folder that I used and showed them examples of the mini goals and the points sheet, how I, you know, demonstrated to the kids that they had earned their points and everything, and they got really excited. So I have three, three folks in particular who I think 
just into, I had one who kept going, I know this, I know this. Like I, I, she was getting so excited because she intuitively knew that this is the kind of interactions that our kids need. And she's like, you know, blown away that there were mm. scientific terms for <laughs> like, yeah. like working with positive, you know, reinforcement and all of that. So um, the plan we're trying to put it all together is to actually start pushing the environment out into all of the academic support classes. So all of the academic support teachers will begin to develop their positive reinforcement skills and systems. It's going to look a little different for everybody and then their ability to do constructional design. But we want to try to give them what I did as a, as a template, because there are, there are some you know, pieces that we figured out that just work and lend themselves to the structure that's in place in our school, to the tools we already have, like our grade book and, and all of that. So Stephanie and Catherine and, and I are in a place right now where we're trying to develop a um, curriculum. I'm gonna develop the curriculum with their uh, assistance and consultation. And then we're hoping to actually have Stephanie and Catherine um, consult as coaches for the other teachers. Wow. And, and some of my colleagues are going, we need to get all the content area teachers learning this <laughs> too. So, uh, but the cool thing is the special educators like myself, we're in the academic support classrooms, but we're also in the content area classrooms as the co-teacher in the classroom. So a lot of what we're doing, one of the goals I have for myself personally is to start pushing this into the content area classroom just through my position. So start just doing it in, that, in those classrooms and modeling it. And hopefully my co-teacher will be someone who will say like, what are you doing? <laughs> that, that seems to work, <laughs> you know? So, so just modeling it and just carrying it out as part of my, my repertoire. And hopefully that'll be a way that it starts to generate some interest because that's that's what worked for the special ed department is I just I just was having a lot of fun <laughs> here and, and a lot of success and then people were like what are you doing <laughs> so it's the the best advertising no we we hear laughter from your classroom mm. not groans yes and yeah. and we and you and the success is measurable yes when you yes. have when you have a student who is failing who's now getting a's and b's that is that begins oh, to be noticed. Yeah, you're reminding me. I had um, my kiddo who uh, made her study guides, one of my full time, my, or, you know, more full time uh, kiddos. She, her math teacher popped by. We had a colleague in the math department who's retiring, and she just popped by my room at the end of the year to check in about this retirement party. And she's like, Oh, I almost forgot. What were you doing with so and so? She was like, That, she's like, She just, totally different kid this year and we're so proud of her and what what a tremendous you know how you know she just made so much growth and um so that was really gratifying to hear you know hear this other teacher in our content areas you know really see it so um yeah so it, it catches fire <laughs> this was your original when we first talked last summer and you this was part of your big dream was to spread it was. this it yeah, was. Yeah. Well, it was my big dream was to make school fun again for my students and to to help them, you know, kind of be restored. I feel like so many people start school with so much enthusiasm for learning and and then it gets squashed yes. <laughs> right out of them, you know. So restoring, you know, helping them rediscover and restore that and and to try to chip away at the environment, you know, or 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 
or just make a whole new environment. You yes. know? Just create a new environment. Yeah, it really, it really was. And, and to, I think I had also said, you know, I have so much fun when I work with my horse. It's just so joyful. Like why, why do I go to work? And it's like sad, not, it's not a reinforcement rich environment. And then I go work with my horse and it's just like, that's all I want to do. Why can't I just all day long yeah. <laughs> just have a great time? And that's, that's what ended up happening. It was yeah. really, it's been a, a just, just joyful. Do you have concerns about other people applying it? Yes, <laughs> but, but, you know, they're, they're learners too. So I guess I have concerns, like, how do I best, I gotta, I gotta be a thoughtful teacher again, and really think about meet, meet everybody where they are and think, not make assumptions about what's in repertoire, or what their beliefs are that are, that might be operating. It's a little bit complex. Yeah, it is. You know, with adult mm. practitioners. But you also discovered last year the importance and power of coaches. So yes. so you're not going to just say to these people, well, here's a worksheet, go implement what I did last year. Be successful. They're, yeah. They're, they're, good luck. <laughs> yeah, good luck. Uh, don't mess it up. You're, you're going to be providing coaching for them. Uh, so they're not just left to their own devices. Yeah, and I think also allowing space for each of those individuals, again, that choice is such a huge reinforcer as well, to feel that they can be who they are in the classroom. And okay, so success is a reinforcer, choice is a reinforcer, and belonging. Those were the three ones I found were really powerful, you know, and those you can find those in a lot of ways, in a lot of forms, in a lot of spaces. And my style mixed with the environment, I came up with a certain set of tools to make those reinforcers really salient to the kids. And somebody else may come in and have a totally different thought about how to create belonging. And yeah. it's going to be better for all of us if we don't entirely just replicate you know, what I did. Yes. My hope is that they really, their worldview gets changed. You know, Alex, when you talk about yeah. switching from that pathological view to that uh, constructional view and, and really start to believe in the power of, of the positive reinforcement, those are really the, the big pieces. And then once you sort of make those your, your North Star, there's all kinds of ways that that can play out. So I, I'm, really looking forward to seeing what creative things people come up with. Which is so much, when I started sharing clicker training, you know, there's there's only so much crea creativity that each one of us has left to our, you know, if we put, if I, if we, if you put me in this little bubble and there's no further input and I have to use what is in my reserves, what are in my resources, I will eventually run out of new things, new ideas, yeah. <laughs> because creativity in part comes from interacting with the environment, interacting with other people. And so by interacting with other clicker trainers, you start to, oh, look at that clever way of teaching that. Look at that clever yeah. way of, of applying that concept, that principle, dealing with that particular situation. I've just expanded and enriched my repertoire because I've interacted with you. And that's that's what you'll see with these teachers, 
because yeah. they, they have skills. They're, they do. Yep. And they have different ways of looking at the world and yes. the classroom and, you know, different sort of thought patterns and personalities. And just because I gravitated to this the, and evolved the set of tools that I evolved, they're sort of an expression of my style. Yep. I'm excited to see what other people's styles and personalities and yep. this background is, is going to produce. What so. you've created is a launching point. You know, if, and, and they have a model that works and then they'll expand on that, which is really exciting. Yeah. And some of them, some of them may not, you know, like we know of people who have been in contact with clicker training who will say doesn't work uh-huh. uh, because the, de- the, the devil is in the detail and, you know, they, the, the, the model is as good as the one who applies it. But right. we know also some people who tried clicker training, said it didn't work, came back <laughs> and because did. whatever else they thought was better certainly didn't work for them. And so I guess you have to be ready for that. Maybe that, you know, not all people yeah. will be equally well, um, knowledgeable and skillful in applying it. Or enthusiastic. I mean, you know, there might be some. And, and yeah. <laughs> I can is, think of a few. <laughs> it is exciting that the administration at your school yeah. noticed. Yeah. And and that they have invited you to begin to expand what you've been doing and to share it with the other teachers and that the other yeah. teachers are interested. Yes. I was I was so thrilled. I was like like floating on air yes. after that meeting because I had, you know, several very vocal and enthusiastic folks like you know I think even if they didn't set up a formal learning some of these some of my colleagues would be like give me what you have material wise and just show me what you're doing you know on their own they were they were just so pumped up about it so you know it's funny when you said about that teacher who said I knew this intuitively because I think um because we've all been on the other side we've all been on the learner's side you know, it's great because you keep saying I'm a learner too, and that's true, but we know what it's like being taught something. And I think we've all gone through negative reinforcement, positive reinforcement, punishment, and we certainly all know which one we prefer. But then, you know, <laughs> you still have people who think punishment is necessary in learning. Maybe they forgot mm-hmm. what it felt like, or I don't know why. Yeah, I find I find this really fascinating. And I that's sort of one of the one of my colleagues, I imagine that maybe some of the pushback I get is that, you know, Alex, you, you talked about it. I, I, I still love those um that series of discussions you had about the lake off work oh, yes, and the, the mindset. Yeah. I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. Um, because I, I think that, that that our belief systems are so powerful. And so if somebody really has the belief, like I'm preparing Mm. these students for the real world, Mm. because the real world isn't nice, or the real world doesn't give you reinforcers. And I can, I can say it over and over again, well, but you're not going to show up here unless you get a paycheck. Like I can do all that. It it isn't necessarily going to convince somebody if that's their deeply held, you know, belief. Exactly. We can prepare these children for a different world. Right. Yep. That yep. that just maybe 
with the tools that you are giving them that what they will create for themselves are environments in which that degree of punishment is not mm -hmm. as present or that they will know how right. to deal with it to sidestep it well and i think what what i saw this year in terms of like this idea of resilience it's such a big thing in in education right now mm. the buzzword grit and all of that punishment and and negative reinforcement and aversives the use of aversive mm. does not create resilience i saw the most resilience from the kids that i was being the most careful and protective of creating the positive environment and the more success they felt their resilience and grit and stick with itness was coming from the desire to feel more success yes. <laughs> so well they, driving in the rain for for an hour yes yeah. <laughs> yeah but what a profoundly important statement to make i think you should say that yeah. again because i i think that really 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 needs to be heard yeah so what i saw i mean and i, I literally this is just an observation is the the kids who demonstrated the most resilience and and the most motivation and and grit to use that ed term were not the ones that we were applying the aversives to and then saying like this is going to make them tough and prepare them for hard things it was the ones who were experiencing success and desperately wanted to keep experiencing the success you know the ones who had that belief that i can get it and i want more that's where that's the origin of their yes. resilience I'm going to stop us here. This is such a powerful statement. I think it's good to pause here and let this really sink in. It wasn't punishment and hard knocks that created resilience. It was experiencing success in a safe and supportive environment that created resilience. Next week, we'll continue on with this conversation. For now, I want to remind you that over Labor Day weekend, September 2nd through 5, I'm going to be hosting an online dressage camp. We had originally scheduled this time for science camp, but those plans had to change, so we transformed science camp into dressage camp. The focus will be on balance. You don't have to be a dressage rider. You don't even have to be a rider to benefit from this event. I'm going to be joined by Michaela Hempen, who many of you are familiar with now from the many podcasts that we've done with Michaela. And Michaela is going to be sharing updates on her mayor Blondie. We won't be talking about the cribbing project. Instead, we're going to be looking at riding. Michaela has been documenting Blondie's transition into riding. Blondie was typical of so many of the horses people ride. She was obedient. She did what she was told because she knew that she had to, but she was stiff. She was not really fun to ride. She was absent in spirit. And really the parallels with the shutdown students that Lucy talks about are very, very real. Too much punishment for Blondie had taken its toll. And I think many people are going to draw great inspiration from Michaela's work with her. It's important to see what can be done. And Michaela has created a detailed video archive that shows clearly the training steps that she used. So that's going to be something really exciting to look forward to. 
And then, of course, the very great treat of dressage camp is that Anya Barron is going to be joining us for one of the afternoon sessions. Anya is a classical dressage trainer whose work is all for the horse. She's going to help us refine our understanding of balance by comparing video of horses who are moving correctly versus those of horses who have been pushed and compromised to meet performance goals. You won't just be watching video and listening to Anya and Michaela talk about balance. Anita Schnee is going to be joining us as well. Anita is a Feldenkrais practitioner, and she'll be guiding us through daily awareness through movement lessons that will help you understand movement from the inside out. So in addition to looking at good movement, we're going to take you through awareness explorations that really help you to understand what you're looking at when you watch a horse move, or for that matter, when you watch a dog move, or any of the other species that I know many of you work with. So I'll be expanding on Anita's work with awareness explorations, and we're going to be in search of what comes before, what comes before, what comes before the change you want to click. You're going to experience for yourself how a small shift of balance can grow and expand into very complex and beautiful movement. Movement that not only is beautiful to watch, it's graceful, but also that feels really good. Which means that in a very real sense, we could have given dressage camp a very different name. We could have called it a spa holiday for animal trainers because that's often how people feel after the awareness through movement and awareness explorations. They feel relaxed, energized, pampered, wonderful. A spa vacation is a great side benefit of this deep dive into balance. But the real reason that we're going to be including the ATM lessons and the awareness explorations is because they help you to understand where good movement comes from and how loopy training, shaping on a point of contact, and the other concepts that we're going to be discussing can help your animal learners remain sound. When you watch Anya's animated videos that compare correct movement with the non-examples that are seen in competitions, you'll understand more clearly why good balance matters. Dressage Camp is a virtual event. We're going to be meeting up on Zoom. You don't need to bring your hard hat. You won't be in the arena riding your horse. You don't even need to have a horse. We're going to be using this time together to explore balance from the inside out. There will be time, as always, for questions and discussions. We'll have the same follow us down rabbit holes format that is the hallmark of Science Camp. I hope you'll join us. It's going to be an exciting one-of-a-kind event. If you're interested in learning more, do please visit my website, theclickercenter.com, to register. And next week, we'll have the final installment of our conversation with Lucy Butler. So until next time, train well and have fun with your horses.